Hello, I'm Sai Huda, author of Next Level Cybersecurity, Detect the Signal, Stop the Hack. You're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Say Huda. Say Huda is a risk and cybersecurity expert who founded and led Compliance Coach and became the general manager of risk information security and compliance solutions at FIS when they acquired Compliance Coach. FIS is a Fortune 500 company serving more than 20,000 clients globally. Sai is here to talk about topics important to small business leaders from his Amazon bestseller, Next Level Security, Detect the Signals, Stop the Hack. He makes his home in San Diego. Welcome, Sai. Bill, thank you so much for having me. Honored to be on your show. It's such a pleasure. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Ah, great question. Well, there were lots of inspiring folks, but I would say probably uh, Ronald Reagan would be at the top. I just found him to be such a great speaker, someone who was very easily likable and just a visionary uh, and a great leader. And so, so he was one that I, as a kid growing up, was very inspired by. So as you think of the lessons you, did you ever get a chance to meet Ronald Reagan when I, he was governor or president? I did not. Uh, that was one opportunity that I just uh, wish I had, but certainly followed him and watched him in action and learned from him. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that we needed today, like could work across the aisle on both sides to get things done. As you think about the impression and what you absorbed from following Ronald Reagan, what's an example of a way that his voice because he had a great voice, uh, or his approach to things influenced an important decision you made about your life or career? Yeah, another great question, Bill. I would say, you know, one of the things I observed about him was that, uh, you know, he used humor quite a bit and he kept things simple. So that was a great way to communicate with people is, you know, cutting through the chase, getting to the bottom line, trying to bring in a little bit of humor and and uh, real life examples or stories in conversations. And uh, I think that is part art, part science. And he had it, he had a down pat in, in every facet of his life. And I noted that. And so I try to emulate that and learn as much as I can. And of course, you know, his speaking abilities were just remarkable. Well, that'll definitely get people's attention. I think that there's no topic that really is as prevalent today as cybersecurity in its broadest sense. If you include network hacks, break-ins, online ID theft, service disablement through DOS, subverting operations, and so on. It's in the news constantly. Why is it that it seems to be so prevalent, and yet people don't seem to really be taking action when the flag is raised on these big enterprises that are being hacked and targeted for information? What are the mistakes that people have, maybe in their mindset or in their policies, that say, well, that can't happen to us? Right. That's right, Bill. I think that's a really great question to begin our conversation today. And it's, you know, why I wrote the book, uh, Next Level Cybersecurity, because, you know, what I discovered while writing the book was that the hacker will get in. It's only a matter of time. So if you look around, whether you're a small business, midsize, or even a large, there's just too many doors, windows, and entryways. It can be a phishing email, which is a fake email uh, that can trick you to open an attachment or go to a fake website or download malware and hackers in. Or it can be a business email compromise where it looks like a real email, 
but it'll trick you to take action because it looks like it's someone that you know or someone from authority. Or it can be stealing credentials of a supplier and using them to get in or finding a hole on your website that hasn't been patched to get in. On and on, too many ways to get in. So it's really not a question of if, but when. So the key for every business is to start with this realization and baseline. And then everyone should be looking for signals of the hacker. Because if you can detect the signals early, then you can stop the hack and avoid loss or damage. It's like, Bill, detecting cancer. If you catch it early, you have the chance to kill it. But if you miss the signals, it'll be too late and it'll kill you. So uh, that's what I do in my book is I reveal a seven-step method to detect the hacker in time and avoid loss or damage. But that's the key thing is everyone should get on the same page and realize that they're going to get in. So yeah, you want to take steps to prevent them from getting in, but you got to realize that they'll get in at some point. And so the key is to look for them and to avoid the big loss. Let's just underscore that for a moment, Sai. No matter who you are, no matter what systems you use, what type of smartphone you have, whatever technology you're using, if it's connected to the network, you are at risk. And part of your responsibility is to protect yourself, protect your data, protect your staff from these threats. There's no one who's exempt from this. Is that true? Absolutely, Bill. Uh, in fact, I'll give you an example that happened to me personally, and which is what started this journey of me writing this book. So I got this letter in the mail from the Office of Personnel Management, OPM in Washington, D.C. The letter says- Wait, when you say in the mail, is this email or actually printed? <laughs> this is actually the old-fashioned way, the hard copy mail, <laughs> Bill. Yes. In an envelope, in right? A, in yeah. an envelope, yes. The old-fashioned way, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and so I got it in the mail, really the old-fashioned mail. Opened it up and it says, Sai, guess what? All your security clearance information, including your fingerprints, have been stolen as part of a data theft. Now, one of my clients was a large government agency and I had to get a security clearance. And so the OPM handled my background check and security clearance. Well, I was shocked and felt violated. You know, first of all, shocked, like, how could this happen at OPM? And violated because they not only had all of my data, but also my fingerprints. That was up close. And so uh, I was like, wait a minute, how could this happen? And so I started to dig into that particular hack, but also all these other hacks and started to create some cybersecurity technology solutions and get my team to focus on you know, figuring out how it happens and what we could do to help our clients. But that's when I said, you know, I got to take some time and get into these hacks and figure out how they happen and what can be done to stop them. And so that's what started my personal journey. But, uh, you know, it can happen to anybody, Bill, back to your question earlier. Anybody. Nobody is immune. Sai, there are so many threats out there that I'm sure a lot of business owners feel overwhelmed. Can you break it down into like two or three big areas that are the major threats that small business leaders need to think about and have on their radar? Yes, absolutely, Bill. I'll share three that I would say are certainly top of mind for me, and it should be for every single business out there, no matter what your size, where you're located, or what type of business you are. The first is ransomware. It's one of the most disruptive risks facing any organization today, no matter your size, type, or location. Why? Well, because it can literally bring your operations to a close, to a standstill, to shut it down, because the ransomware essentially locks out your access to documents, files, systems through encryption. It encrypts all this stuff. And you get this note saying, hey, guess what? You've got ransomware. And so in order to get access to get the keys to unlock, you got to pay X in Bitcoins. Click here. And so now imagine 
your business is shut down. You can't do anything. What if it's shut down for days? What if it's weeks? What if it's months? What impact would it have in your organization? Huge. Well, Sai, I imagine that a business owner would say, well, I'll just go to my backups. Is that a reasonable approach or has something happened to the backups as well? Yeah. So backups could be a good solution, but you have to have some good strategies behind the backup because a lot of the ransomware that is new now actually go after backup files also. So the way they, they program these ransomware is They'll get to source documents and files and systems, but they'll also hunt for backups. And so unless you have the backups well thought out, for example, they're offsite. Uh, for example, they are named in a certain way where it's going to be difficult for this ransomware to detect it, then you're going to be okay. But if you don't have a good plan, if the backups are easily accessible uh, by the ransomware, then guess what? Your backups will also be encrypted and you won't be able to get to the backups. So that's another risk. The second one, Bill, is cloud misconfigurations. Uh, just about every business today is in cloud, you know, either partially or wholly. And uh, especially if you're small to midsize, you know, you're probably relying on one of the big six, uh, like Microsoft Azure or Amazon Web Services to take care of your business. Uh, well, guess what? You got to remember that security is your responsibility ultimately. And so you're responsible for security in the cloud while your AWS or Microsoft Azure or one of the other guys is responsible for security of the cloud. And so what that means is that ultimately it's still your data. They're just hosting it for you and providing certain services, including perhaps perimeter security. But ultimately you got to protect your data. And so, you know, if you don't take the time to configure uh, all of the cloud systems and services that they're providing to you, then you could have an open back door and the hacker could get in. And it's happening today. So that's something that is a top of mind uh, for me. And certainly, I would urge you to think about that again, because you're probably in the cloud thinking that you're safe and secure. But unless you've taken care of business with the configurations, you're not. That's an important aspect too, Sai, because I know a lot of business owners who have made the move for the last five years and said, wow, we're all using Google Drive now. We're all going to use something that's going to allow us for greater collaboration. So with that comes responsibility. That's a minor level, but you're also talking about, say, the development level or the production level of using some of these services to run other services. And like you say, the services may say that they're among the safest in the world. They have these capabilities only if they're configured correctly. And do you recommend that businesses do some sort of regular periodic audit to make sure that it's as tightly configured as possible. Yes, absolutely, Bill. That is a great idea and a best practice, which is to not only baseline your configurations today, so go through all the services that are being provided by your cloud provider and make sure they're configured correctly, and then to periodically go and audit it because things could change. So you might bring in some additional application, you might have new users, even the cloud provider could change and provide different services or provide different access. Uh, and so you've got to regularly go and audit your configurations. Otherwise, you'd be exposed. I'll, I'll give you a couple quick examples. So just this Thanksgiving, the company called a True Dialogue, which is one of the largest 
text services provider globally. They have 5 billion consumers worldwide. Ethical hackers found that their database was exposed, where you had anybody being able to get access to 100 million U.S. consumers' data. Now, this is not only email, phone numbers, but also details of all the texts for 100 million U.S. consumers. And there was a misconfiguration, and the database was exposed you know, naked from the internet. Now, these ethical hackers informed them on Thanksgiving Day, and fortunately, they shut it down the next day. But here's the question, how long was it exposed for? And uh, could it be that the hackers now have not only the email and phone number, but also the text details for all these 100 million consumers? And so that's an example of how fast it can happen. It can happen to anybody. First of all, I'm going to give some voice to what a lot of people listening felt when you said they were notified on Thanksgiving but then shut it down the next day. What took them till the next day? Oh my gosh. Yes, that's right, Bill. Next day is an eternity you know, on the internet. That's exactly right. And second of all, these security flags and openings and holes that can be exploited can come about through something as innocuous as upgrading an application or an operating system. And when you're running a cloud, this is happening out of your control to some degree because that's part of the services they offer but it might expose a bad configuration you have and make it even more visible. So it's really important to stay on top of it and make sure that you've got people monitoring this and keeping it tight and secure and testing it. Could you just explain what you mean by ethical hackers? Some people may not understand that term. Sure. So there are um, these uh, research groups and companies that will scan the web and uh, periodically look for any gaps and vulnerabilities uh, and holes uh, of any company, you know, could be a cloud provider or could be a small to mid-sized business. And uh, they're looking to learn to see what's happening out there, who's you know, patching things, who's not patching things. And then what they'll do is they'll use that for their own research purposes into their, their product services, but they'll uh, be a nice guy and let them know whoever they found a vulnerability that, hey, we found this vulnerability, you need to fix it. And it's a sort of unspoken gentleman's rule, if you may call it that. People that are the good guys in cybersecurity, you know, look out for, you know, holes and weaknesses and, uh, you know, let the other guys know that he fix it, you know, because we're, on this t- we're all in this together. So that's what ethical hackers are. They're, they're just companies or research groups that, that scan the web and look for vulnerabilities and let you know that you've got a hole. When I've made decisions about having people run these types of audits, it's because I've had a personal recommendation. And if someone is thinking that they really need to do this, and then they start thinking about it and saying, well, wait a second, what if I was really a black hat, an unethical hacker, not a white hat, an ethical hacker? Wouldn't one of the first things I do is put up a, a landing page saying that I was a white hat hacker? How do you really <laughs> tell who the good guys are from a place where you've not done this before and you really don't have any connections to help guide you? What would you suggest people follow as a guideline for really vetting a source before they make a hire, but more importantly, giving them the keys to your network? Yeah, Bill, that, that, that's a great question. And I think number one, first, first and foremost, is you got to do your due diligence. So certainly you, you can't be posting you know, for contract work on something like this. You really have to find out about the company that's going to be you know, your supplier or your partner here, because you know, you're essentially giving them access to your home or, or your business, essentially. So uh, you've got to do due diligence. And it leads to the you know, third risk, Bill, which is supply chain. Oh, wait a second. So I, before we go into that, I just want to dig into that just a little bit more. 
due diligence, and I, I know a lot of business owners who have substantial companies and computer assets and network assets, and they're saying to themselves, gosh darn, you know, it's like training. Hey, we bought the hardware, we bought the software. What, we have to train people on how to use it now? Oh, and now we have to secure it? It's just one more thing. But they don't have an idea of how to do that due diligence. Do they look to companies that ha- are mentioned on Inc.com, for instance, who have been reviewed and vetted and have those kinds of testimonials? And when they're actually talking with the companies, they have some sort of social verification and social proof that they're companies that do good work and ethical work. What are two or three questions you might suggest that they ask to increase their level of comfort when they're interviewing someone who, who's applying to work with them? Yeah. So one of them, you know, very, very classic time tested is references. So I would ask them, who are your, some of your clients? And can you give me a couple of references that I can talk to? And then independently, you know, go and talk to the CISO or the CEO or the COO and see what their experience has been with this particular company. What did they do for them? And, you know, what kind of value did they bring to them? So references is, is, you know, just classic. And it's not just email, by the way, because that can be faked, Bill. Very important So a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times, you know, we, we take this for granted where we might text or we might email because we're in a hurry and we're all in this digital mode. No, no, the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and talk to them. Make sure that they're a legitimate person. <laughs> this is not a fake reference. So, so that's one. But, but the other part is to look at uh, you know, what their expertise level is and to really make sure this matched up with what you're looking for. So if you're looking for someone to do a configuration audit, then you want to make sure that they've actually done this uh, over a period of time. So a lot of people have cybersecurity skill sets and load not, but know a lot, but question is, can you go deeper and say, are they really focusing on configurations, which is a whole new skill set than, say, network security and some other aspects of security? So that's the other part is to drill down on their skill sets. Now, you were saying the third area. Yes, Bill, thank you. Is supply chain. So it kind of ties into what you just asked me. Very important. Uh, so supply chain is basically uh, every business's contractors and uh, vendors, different types of suppliers like your cloud hoster, for example. And so you've got to know who they are and you've got to know what your risk level is from them because they could be the weakest link in the chain. And so the hacker might find out who your suppliers are and go attack them and do a phishing attack on them, get their credentials and get in into your system. So I'll give you an example where one, one company recently essentially outsourced their web pages for payments to this company. And uh, the hackers actually uh, hacked into that company's network and then got to these web pages and started to skim credit card, banking, and medical and other personal information. And they stole 11.9 million consumers' data over a period of eight months, completely undetected. And so it wasn't a direct attack on that particular company. It was these web pages that were hosted by this third party, the supplier. So supply chain is very important risk, though. So what they did is they didn't necessarily disable the service. They just put in something that forwarded all the information surreptitiously to them as it also sent it to the bank, as it also sent it to their databases. They were getting BCC'd essentially on all these orders and communications. That's right. That's a great example is BCC. That's exactly what was going on, Bill. So how did someone detect something like that? How did they suspect that something was up? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to my book, you know, which is that, uh, you know, first of all, you've got to start with what are your crown jewels? So that this particular company, they should have thought about these 
payment web pages as a gateway into the crown jewels. So obviously crown jewels is their database, you know, where they have all this information stored about customers who bought their services and goods and credit card information, all that. But the gateways, the pathways into the crown jewels is something that they didn't pay attention to. And they didn't think that these web pages that were hosted and provided by the third party should be their responsibility. And so they thought that security was under control by the supplier. So start with the crown jewels first. Where are they located? What are the gateways to the crown jewels? Are you providing all the doors into the crown jewels or are there other doors that could be provided by a supplier? And you've got to focus on that. And then you've got to look for certain signals. So in this case, when the BCCs were going out, there was some traffic that was going out that was a little bit more than normal because the code that they put in was creating these BCCs, if you will, that spiked up the volume. They weren't tracking the outgoing traffic from those web pages. If they were tracking the outgoing traffic from the web pages, that would have been an early detection signal of like, hey, something unusual is going on here. Anything other than zero traffic outgoing from web pages. <laughs> so this is really interesting. And people listening to this need to understand that these openings, even if your company is secure, these openings and risk signals could be coming from your suppliers, people who you've trusted to put information on your network or on certain file servers. All of this increases the importance of being vigilant. What other types of services that many business owners who you've encountered ought to be looking at that we just haven't been looking at because we haven't been educated enough or aware of what some of these cutting edge attacks we need to protect against are. Stars with, as I mentioned, the crown jewels. Uh, and I think a lot of businesses haven't taken the time to really think through what are my crown jewels? You know, crown jewels uh, could be sales data. You know, crown jewels could be payroll data. Crown jewels could be product information. And so, you know, first fundamental thing is to, and if you're not have the time or the expertise to maybe get some outside help to have somebody come in and say, let's spend a little bit of time to figure out, you know, what your business is and what are your crown jewels. Make sure we do an inventory to capture everything that's a crown jewel. Then the next step is to figure out, you know, where are they? Where are those crown jewels located? Some of them might be in servers uh, that, that are in your shop. Some of them might be in the cloud. Some of them might be on somebody's laptop. So it's really important to know where those crown jewels are. And then it's really important to know how those crown jewels could be accessed or how they're accessed by your employees and you, but also customers and suppliers. And then to really set up a way to monitor the access on an ongoing basis. So again, that's where if you don't have the expertise internally to get some help from the outside, a lot of companies can do that. Some of the cloud providers can do that. But that's the way to you know, start to attack this is to start with the crown jewels. Sai, what does a website or two that people who are not experts in this area ought to be tuned into to include as part of their reading so they could take part in these conversations? You know, there, there's lots of resources out there that SANS is, is a good organization, not-for-profit. There's a lot of good uh, white papers about security there. So lot, lots of good sources out there on the web, Bill. I'm thinking individual hard drive security to avoid viruses. People would always say, look and see what Norton is doing. Look and see what Symantec has. And those are sites that people recognize as industry leaders that are secure, that are not shell companies. Are there societies that people ought to look at because they put out trusted and authoritative information? Yeah, I mean, I think AWS, Microsoft Azure, IBM, some of the companies, there's lots of uh, other companies that are smaller in size, but uh, they are putting together blogs, they're putting together communities and starting to you know, share best practices. Verizon, you know, Verizon's DBIR is, is a good tool. 
which, which is the data breach investigation report, which they put up annually. McAfee has a similar report. Symantec has a similar report. Those are good sources for uh, small businesses and executives to get to speed on you know, what's happening with ransomware hacks and uh, what are the signals to look for. Sai, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? <laughs> certainly, certainly. Earlier, I asked about a person who influenced or inspired you. Now, what's a book or an idea that changed the course of your life? I would say Steve Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, that uh, was one that I found very, very inspiring and practical. And, and in fact, you know, I try to uh, apply it every single day, those seven habits. So that was one that uh, I think is a, just a tremendous time-tested uh, book. What's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? I would say on a personal note, Bill, is to you know get up every morning and look in the mirror and just laugh, laugh out loud. So I kind of do that every morning. I look in the mirror and I just you know look at me and I just laugh. And that way I can see the fact that I'm laughing and that laughter actually creates this energy that gets me you know in a positive mode right away, right at the beginning, top of the hour. And I think, uh, like in India, Bill, did you know that uh, they created a laughter club? It's free. And uh, it's all around the country where people get together and they just uh, spend a few minutes together, strangers, friends, acquaintances, and just laugh, laugh for a few minutes. And it's amazing what laughter can do is get the adrenaline pumping, get the endorphins kicked in, and get you in a mood, and uh, you're off and running. What's the most important habit or routine or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? One of the things that I stopped is to stop getting in negative thoughts in my head. Now, now sometimes I fail. <laughs> Some negative thoughts still get in there because the mind is such that it's receptive to thoughts, good and bad. But that is something that uh, you know I worked on. And uh, you know every time I start to think something negatively, because there's so much negative news out there, for example, it might get into my brain. I have built this mechanism where I go, hey, Sai, there's some negative thought going in. Alert, alert, <laughs> signal, signal, stop. Stop that negative thought. And I try to cut it off. So that I found to have been a very positive influence in my life that I think I would just share with everybody that you know, if you can strive to do that, you'll see such benefits immediately. So Sai, what you're saying is you've built a dashboard in your mind to look for negative thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I try, Bill. And most of the time it works, but sometimes I fail. But you know, it's okay. You know, it's a journey that counts, you know. You've got to learn from failure. <laughs> What's your take on password applications? Like 1Password or LastPass, those services that say they'll protect your password and encrypt it. Wouldn't that be a natural place that hackers look to break into? <laughs> yes, Bill, very astute observation. I think they're certainly at risk. And boy, we sure hope they have really good security because uh, you know, you're giving your keys to them. So I think there's some value to them. But again, you've know, you got to do, do your own due diligence and you've got to kind of make your own decisions whether they have good security and can you trust them and therefore the benefit that you get from not having to remember all the passwords, you know, outweighs the risk. So that's certainly a possibility. But speaking of passwords, Bill, that is something that we've got to kind of urge everybody to pay attention to, especially with, you know, all these IoT devices you know, that are coming on board. There'll be 8 billion by 2022. You know, it's pretty amazing. And uh, the IoT devices like smart printers and TVs and all this other stuff are providing more gateways for the hackers. And the funny thing is, or ironic, I should say, it's not really funny, is these quote-unquote smart devices come with dumb factory default passwords, like the password being password. 
So one of the one of the best practices is you know if you've got a smart device, immediately change the factory default password to something that is not going to be easily guessed, you know, by a hacker. But uh, you know that's a best practice. The other couple of best practices, Bill, are you know to plan for ransomware. And so think about like you getting hit with ransomware and how it could have started and trace back. And then think about where are your backups and how would you get back up on your feet. That's not the best practice because everybody is susceptible to ransomware. So it's really important to underscore that and have an actual policy in place. And it's kind of like a fire drill that all small business owners ought to be thinking about. In your company, you wouldn't think twice about safety measures to make sure people get out unharmed in the event of some sort of accident like that. And you practice it and you drill for that. And I think that you should take no less of steps of importance and vigilance to plan, train, and then rehearse what you would do in the case of ransomware because it's just becoming more and more prevalent. And it's there's so few barriers to entry, aren't there, Sai? It's like people could just get freeware and then unleash it on people and set up a Bitcoin account. It's something that people in junior high school could do. Yes, Bill, absolutely. I mean, that's the, the positive and the negative, you know, of the, our digital connected world that we live in, that anybody can, you know, hack into from anywhere. So we have to recognize that. And the other thing we have to recognize is that our business is digital. And so we all as business leaders have to start to understand the fact that our, our uh, data you know, is uh, potentially vulnerable and that we all have to get educated on how people could get access to it and can come up with ways to protect it all the time and get educated and stay educated. Keep the shaw sharpened. That's great advice, Sai. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today. You've shared so many great ideas, and I want to make sure that business owners and all small business leaders are listening to this and understand the three big threats that you mentioned. They're like a cancer, like ransomware is so prevalent and so easy to get into organizations these days that it takes important training in order to warn people signs to avoid and ways to be skeptical. Secondly is cloud misconfigurations, where everyone's making use of these services and they provide great capabilities if correctly configured. And then third is making sure that the supply chain, when you bring people into your network or into your business and give them access to certain areas, that they're not introducing additional risks to your network and that they may have access to the same types of trainings and policies that you use to protect people internally. So you shared with us the idea of crown jewels and thinking through very carefully, where are they? What are the access points that connect them? And what should we do in order to protect them, monitor traffic going to them, and defending them? Because there are people on the outside who, for goodness sake, they don't have anything better to do than to think about how to screw up our work for profit or just for the perverse pleasure of doing so. And unfortunately, we've got to take that responsibility and just protect things that are value to us, like our databases, like our network, like our servers. You share with us some great ideas, and I, I really love the idea of putting up protection in your mind against negative thoughts. I just have a, a great image that I'm leaving this conversation with. So thank you so much, Sai Huda, author of Next Level Cybersecurity, Detect the Signals, Stop the Hack. Thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much, Bill. Honored to be on your show. Sai, before we say goodbye for now, tell me where we can find out more about you and your work online. Yes, thank you so much, Bill. People can go to saihuda.com. We're going to link to your book on Amazon. We're going to link to your site as well as the resources mentioned on the show. So be sure to check out the show notes. Sai, thanks again so much. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. 
Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.